Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. In today's episode, we are talking about the long-lost masterpiece and erotic film by Francis Savell, entitled Equation to an Unknown. Now, if you're a Patreon subscriber, then you've had access to this episode for some time now. And if you're not a Patreon subscriber and are wondering what that is, Patreon is a platform where you can support the podcast for as little as just a few dollars a month. All proceeds go directly towards maintaining the podcast, as well as ensuring that we can keep hearing these very important personal stories from individuals within our leather and kink communities. Patreon subscribers gain early access to podcast episodes, as well as exclusive access to more bonus material like what you're about to hear today. A friendly reminder that this podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Please be advised that in this episode, we will be discussing the film Equation to an Unknown, which does depict homoerotic art as well as adult content. With that said, let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more leather talk. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today I have my friend Jack. Hi, Jack. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get into what we're talking about today, let's get to know you a little bit because it's only audio. People only have an idea of who you are just by how we describe you with our words. So could you just maybe, I guess, tell us your, your name, your age, your gender, your background, your sexual orientation, your social security number? All that good stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, So my name is Jack. I am 29 years old. I am a gay man uh, living in the very beautiful um, San Fernando Valley. And I'm very good friends and neighbors with Brandon. Yay, gay. (laughs) So when did you first move out here to the LA area? Um, I first moved out here permanently in 2019 so just a couple of months before the pandemic and then covid fucked that up yes it fucked everything up (laughs) (laughs) so we finally have you back here back in los angeles what's one thing well first of all why did you come back most people that leave they're like (laughs) (laughs) well i had no intention to ever leave um i was just sort of driven out for lack of a job and many other things, I guess. So, um, yeah, I went back home where I am originally from, Arkansas, uh, and was desperately seeking a job for a while before, thankfully, I got one back in the entertainment industry where I worked originally. And now I've been back for several months now, and it feels like I never left. And you're an eligible bachelor, is that right? Currently, (laughs) as we record. (laughs) Those are the rumors, yes. (laughs) Those are the rumors. Wait, is Arkansas considered like the South? Yes. <laughs> so if you want a, a gay Southern boy, why did I even, <laughs> I don't even know how to do the accent. I don't, I don't even have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> we have an algebra bachelor here in the San Fernando Valley area. <laughs> um, hit me up. <laughs> um, 
Well, what's one thing you really love about living here versus where you came from? Uh, well, I've always wanted to live in a big city, um, you know, like take public transportation, you know, dodge garbage on the streets. I always thought that would be so cool to be surrounded by so many people and so many diverse people as well. And I never, I always saw myself going to New York, you know, like every kid in middle America, but I ended up in LA through very random circumstances and it seems like fate really. It does. And I've enjoyed every second of it, like going to new beaches, going to new areas, taking the red line. I think they call it something else now, like the B line or something. Yeah, but... that's lame. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so much fun. And I've been very lucky to get to meet so many cool and interesting people, even some gay people. Even some of those. Yeah. And, I mean, you got to meet me. <laughs> yes. I'm so grateful for that. You are no stranger to the bullet. Yes. You might sometimes see me tagging along with Brandon um, two steps behind because you never know what might be going on. But (laughs) What's one thing that you maybe not hate, but maybe would... Well, what's one thing you hate about Los Angeles? Uh, I mean, at this point, I can't even really hate the obvious stuff, like the traffic. Like, that's just how it is. That's a given. You have to plan ahead, so... Even if I don't plan ahead and I get stuck in some gnarly traffic, it is what it is. And I just I just thank God <laughs> that I'm stuck in traffic here in L.A. as opposed to somewhere else. Okay, exactly, <laughs> exactly. When I first moved here to L.A., I was like, oh, my God, the 405 traffic is such a blessing. Like, people are here and they're doing something with their lives. <laughs> like, there's people on the streets, like, driving, going places, doing things. That's how I felt when I first moved here. That lasted for, like, six months. And then <laughs> stress. <laughs> the hustle and bustle. The hustle and bustle. That's right. Um, so today we're kind of doing sort of like a different type of episode. Normally I'm here interviewing people about their leather lifestyle. And Jack, I, I'm assuming short of you coming to Los Angeles, you've had no prior exposure to the leather community that is correct was that shocking a little bit when you met me and we kind of did some exploring around town and stuff like that (laughs) i definitely before coming out here had kind of a cartoonish idea about what the leather lifestyle was just something i had heard of but never seen in the flesh and so then finding out that you were into leather and that you went to leather bars and there were other people i was kind of like whoa this is real life (laughs) Yeah, and you do look really cute in my leather jacket. So oh, thanks. We'll You're nice enough to lend it to me for the <laughs> night. Um, so why are we here today? We are here to talk about maybe a different area of gay queer history. Absolutely. Um, my birthday present, by the way. <laughs> if you didn't know, I just turned um, 30 years old. I'm a, I'm a real man now. Um and Jack got me this amazing DVD. Jack knows that I'm into um, just like queer history in general and porn. And he thought, <laughs> I guess I'm assuming you thought, um, hey, this is like a piece of history and pornography. Brandon would love this. Is yes. that what was in your head? <laughs> <laughs> so the birthday gift is this little, I mean, maybe some of you out there might have heard of it but I'll let you this, hold it here. thank you it's this um gay pornography from france that was made in 1980 um it's called equation to an unknown 
uh, with some kind of French title as well, but we won't do that here. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never taken a French class in my life, so <laughs> don't ask me to pronounce anything. Um, and it's interesting because I like Loki. Well, okay, so full disclosure, like Jack and I watched this together. And I thought for sure it was like going to be one of those things. Hey, it's going to be like artsy. Um, we're going to watch it. And I, I even warned you, Jack. I was like, um, I'm pulling out the lube because it's porn. <laughs> like, if I jack off, like, you just have to know, um, like, duh, like, we're watching porn. But that, that never happened. Um, I think for a number of reasons is because, like, the pornography was really more like, I don't know how to describe it part of the story and not necessarily the feature of the story but it was the feature of the story <laughs> i don't know how to, how would you describe that um i don't know there's so many different kind of types of film movies that you could say like there's pornographic movies there's softcore pornography there's erotic films there's like artsy in, indie films whatever else there's foreign films which this definitely is um Man, it seems to kind of straddle a lot of different signifiers, I would say. Yeah. And, well, do you remember the first time that you saw pornography? Uh, oh, my gosh. I don't think so. If anything, I definitely, for a long time, tried to avoid pornography. Why? Well, I only was thinking about, like, straight pornography. So oh. I really did not want to see that. Um. <laughs> Wait, did you not realize that gay pornography existed? Oh, well, if I did, I probably would not have sought it out either. But uh, <laughs> I think the first thing I ever saw was like, you know, clips on Tumblr of okay. like all the classics, like Sean Cody stuff and Chuck Hunter stuff. Even. All the classics, all the guys from like 1970s and 80s are like rolling their eyes right now. <laughs> the classics. <laughs> I love that. Well, I just want to read a little bit about some of this film that we watched together because it really caught me by surprise. Like we had a couple of old fashions in front of us that we were drinking. I was expecting that at some point I'd be taking my dick out, but it wasn't like that at all. And I'm going to just read a little bit about um, there, there was this film essay that I can't even remember his name. Jan Gonzalez, I think. Jan Gonzalez wrote about yes. and we might have to edit his name in because I, I totally forgot it but it was interesting because he showed clips of the film and then he talked about it and i just wrote down like a few things as i was watching the movie um of things that i wanted to remember and some of the the quotes from this essay are here as follows he said that it seemed to come from nowhere this film almost like from a land of, of ghosts and faded dreams it was lively and so full of flesh and passion However, this world has since disappeared. All of the boys with their smiles, their sadness on screen was almost anticipating their own extinction. This was shot only a few years before the rising of AIDS. And it's as if the film is an omen in and of itself. The last glimpse of freedom and sexual friendship before the horror. A documentary on an ancient form of ecstasy. It's passion, energy, which because of its innocence and intensity feels as if it's remnant of a long and distant past. Every kiss and embrace conveys the anxiety of first time love and sex. And something he also said towards the end of his essay was that every single scene, even though it was filled with like this sexual intense, innocent energy, it always ended with that reminder of solace and loneliness. 
you know, and I, it was true because I was like, there was never that moment where I was like, oh man, this is so hot. I'm going to take my dick out. I was really hot <laughs> seeds, but it was like, well, first of all, there's like very little dialogue. Right. And did you catch, I, I, because the dialogue that was spoken, I think was very intentional. Did any of those stand out to you? Definitely the last line of the whole movie, which it might get ahead of ourselves to say, but like, I remember the protagonist looks at Francois mm-hmm. and he says something along the lines of, I wish I could only love you. Oh my God. That's <laughs> right. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> what did that last line mean to you? It's kind of like the culmination of the whole movie. Um, not to get so highbrow about it, but I really did feel like so much of what we saw was was real or maybe imagined or or dreamt up by the main protagonist. But either way, whether it was real or not, it I would say like the passion and the desire was all there, was always real. Mm-hmm. And so we have this final scene of the protagonist with Francois, his maybe lover maybe just friend or something. And, you know, we've just had all these huge bombastic um, sex scenes and he just kind of looks at him and he's like, I wish I could only love you, but... And it's also a little ambiguous, like, you know, maybe he's resigned himself to not being able to just love this one man or maybe he's decided that he will try or maybe he's going to find another route yeah. to satisfy all these desires and passions. But And like, I mean, remember this is like 1980 and when this was filmed it was probably before 1980. Right. So like the context of where the gay community was then, um, and this is sort of like really relevant to like the leather community too. The leather community, it was sort of like everything had to happen behind closed doors, in the bushes, in the dark corners, yes. in in secret and well the first thing that struck me was there was so much communicated throughout the movie without any words and it was sort of like a direct reflection of where the gay community was at that point like everything had to be communicated through secrecy like the leather community we we had flagging where people would see like oh you're wearing such and such on your left pocket or or right pocket or this color handkerchief on this pocket or that pocket i know this is what you're looking for no words have to be exchanged um, you know, the cruising culture of that time. And it was sort of like interesting because every single sex scene, you could hear like the the breathing. None of it was really loud or like there was no screamers in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you could hear like the sound of the outside world. Right. Always coming in. Yeah. And like what that rem- kind of put like this feeling of fear in me of like getting caught you know like it's exciting but it's also a reminder that the risk you're taking the rest of the world is out there Mm. you know so many of the scenes i think you were talking about it too when we watched it just like take place and like you said all these dark spots and alleys and bathrooms in locker rooms in rail yard shacks (laughs) under bridges fuck yeah (laughs) And there's so many, um, I don't know, like stock masculine archetypes as far as like the construction worker, mm-hmm. the athlete, the biker, the mechanic, you know, 
on their on their face kind of simple ideas and yet yeah. maybe there's something more too <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about the very first scene and um for those of you who haven't seen it well i'll put the title and everything in the in the description of this episode because it's so interesting it really is all sex but it's so much more than sex like and one thing I wrote down was it's all about sex. It's interesting because we live in a world that continues to remind us that it doesn't always have to be about sex. So when it, when is it okay for it to be all about sex? Like when is it okay to be primal and to like give in to your carnal desires? Like this movie is sort of like that moment where we have permission to make it all about sex for the first time. And maybe that's what I personally like about the leather scene. It's like the one time where you can let go and just be like, you know what? Fuck it. It is about sex. And that's okay right now. Like, maybe every day doesn't have to be like that. But this moment, that's what I want it to be about. So the first scene, there's these guys playing, is it like rugby or soccer or something? I think it's soccer, yeah. (laughs) It's soccer, like football, soccer, football (laughs) in Europe, I guess they would call it. And this, it's kind of bad acting, right? Like, he falls down. He's like, oh, my leg, my gay leg. (laughs) Okay, so what happens after the gay leg? So we do start in this like very drizzly soccer field. It's a gray day. There's some guys playing soccer and our protagonist is watching them kind of off from a distance along with two other gentlemen who are watching as well and kind of giving each other the look. Um, We all know the look, right? (laughs) I'm giving it to you right now. It's like that look that's two seconds too long, but then we look away. Yes. The looking away is crucial. Um, and so one of the soccer players is injured, and then the game ends, and all the soccer players kind of trudge into the locker room. And our protagonist stays back at first, but we as the audience enter the locker room, and we see um, we see Dick's. <laughs> so many dicks so beautiful oh. <laughs> i was half expecting there to be like i mean there was definitely full bush going on right but it wasn't like outrageous. it was the 70s it was like, and it was in europe <laughs> they were not into that <laughs> but you know what it was it was like i think well like it wasn't going all over the place like you know um like they had nice pubic hair i will say <laughs> But I was sitting there thinking, because the first scene, they all go into the showers, and they're, like, spanking each other and roughhousing, and they're all naked underneath the water. And I'm thinking, okay, a gay man definitely wrote this movie, because this is not happening. Like, does it? I've been in locker rooms. I've never had that happen. Otherwise, I'd be at the gym every day. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wasn't sure either, but if anyone else knows, please call in. Tell us what they do. Call in. Yes. <laughs> Could you imagine if we had a call-in thing? We would get that going. Um, oh, and so they, all the guys are taking showers. Everyone's naked. Nobody has like a single piece of clothing on. And just dicks flying everywhere. And the guy who hurt his leg is being massaged, like his legs being massaged by, of course, another hot naked guy on a bench. And one of the team players walks by and he says, why don't you just massage his cock? Ha ha ha. Like (laughs) he'll like that even more. And they just kind of like toss it off, you know, like they're like, whatever. But once everybody leaves, he's like, Oh, can you massage like my, my lower stomach? And 
Um, it, they start to get like breathe heavy and he starts to touch his, himself and he's like, why don't you straddle my face? Mm. <laughs> because you'll have an easier reach. And I'm like, okay, it's happening. <laughs> so, uh, okay, what proceeds to happen back after that moment? Well, while they are getting closer and closer to more intimate actions, I guess you'd say, um, our protagonist enters the locker room. All the other players have washed and they've left, and our protagonist enters the locker room with this uh, other guy that he was kind of eyeing during the game. And the protagonist, for the first few minutes, just watches as the two players start to um, suck each other off. Um, tongue and ass, tongue mm-hmm. and dick. The camera did a pretty good job, I would say, of, like, knowing where to be. Like, definitely, like, covered the man's back and then, like, stayed on the ass for a long time and then flipped around so you could see both angles. Like, beautiful camera work. Great camera work. And what's what's interesting to me is, like, have you ever seen those porns where you're like, okay, can we get a new shot now? Like, it's been too close up to the dick and the ass. Like, I want to see their bodies or I want to see their faces. Like, I never for once thought, like, okay, change the camera angle because it was, like, more than about the sex. It was, like, the entire ambiance they were trying to catch. And what really struck me was that sex scene got really hot right away, really fast. But then you could see him, like, looking through. I'm trying to paint the picture for those who have no idea what we're talking about here is, like, So you see two guys sort of laying on the bench horizontally on top of each other, like in a 69 position. And then there's like another vertical bench in front of them. That's where the camera is. So you're kind of like looking up at a perspective and you can see like their full bodies. And just above their bodies, just above that bench is a little like slim vertical window. And that's where our protagonist is staring in to the locker room watching this happen. And... It, it was such a beautiful picture. I even told you, like, while we're watching, yeah. I was like, if we were to pause this and this was a photograph and it was put in black and white, like, this is art. Like, it, this is a Robert Maplethorpe piece of work right now. Right know? on the mantelpiece. Exactly. Right above <laughs> my fireplace. Yeah, it was beautiful. And then, just when you think, when most movies would cut off and go into the next scene... This movie keeps filming all the way until how many people walk into the room at that point? Because it becomes an orgy. Right. Oh, four people is technically an orgy. Is that, was it four people? Yeah. You might, you're getting your sex scenes confused, maybe. (laughs) I think it was four, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely four. Well, we think, you know, I think most other porn films would have had the protagonist immediately go in and join in on the fun. But, um... It cuts instead to the protagonist. He's on his bike. He's never seen throughout the movie, I don't think, without like his jacket, his uh, helmet, his goggles for biking, his little biker scarf even. And he bikes through um, the Paris suburbs all the way home, like goes to his dingy apartment, walks up like several flights of stairs, takes off all his clothes, gets into bed, and immediately starts masturbating that's right and i remember being like oh man they're cutting away from it (laughs) but then he gets naked and then starts like jacking off immediately immediately um and then we come back to that locker room and this time 
the protagonist is interacting with the couple and his friend is there as well. So all four of them like begin to have sex with the protagonist. And you say the protagonist is kind of on the receiving end of most of it. Um, yeah. And it just made me think at that point, that's when I started question, is this a fantasy or is yeah. this actually happening? <laughs> Are we seeing a flashback of what happened? And, and now he's jacking off thinking about what just happened or is he, at home, fantasizing about this. About what could have been, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like the first like mind fuck, right? Well, it was also your favorite of the sex scenes early on. Is that correct? Oh, my favorite sex scene. I, I think it was just because of like the, I don't know, the energy of like secrecy and like we could get caught. Anybody could walk in at any time, but they kind of let their guard down. And it wasn't like a quick thing. Like they were there for a while having sex and everyone just like came. There was a moment where like three people came at the same time and there's come everywhere, you guys. <laughs> you know, I like to say that on this podcast, come everywhere. I need to share that <laughs> so were you saying that you didn't find the come realistic or maybe no, just okay. some scenes? Oh, okay, well, let me know. <laughs> The cum was real, except there was one orgy scene towards the end where I was like, okay, that's too much cum. Give me a break. That's some Cetaphil. Okay, well, you can't put that on a shirt. <laughs> Our sponsors, Cetaphil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but yeah, so like you said, the first mindfuck, immediately we have to wonder what actually did happen. But, um, you know, he's in bed, and I think the only named character in the whole movie comes in to the bedroom, Francois. That's right. He is the only named character. I'm pretty I sure, I didn't think yeah. about that. <laughs> wow. You were thinking about all of that while I was like mm -hmm. jerking off. <laughs> no, I wasn't jerking off. <laughs> but Francois comes in and they have a little like, at first we don't know who he is because he's kind of eyeing the protagonist who's completely sprawled out naked on the bed. Asleep. Kind of lightly touching him. And then, and I'm like, no consent. He's right. not. He's asleep. And of course, he like wakes up and he says, like, well, first he tries to cover himself. Yeah. Francois is like, oh no, let me see, let me touch. And the protagonist said, you didn't need my permission earlier. And I was like, was that like his way of an invitation? Well, he immediately follows it with, please jerk me off. Yeah, that was the invitation. Mm. <laughs> So if you're ever wondering what consent is, if you say, please jerk me off, that's, that's, I think, pretty forward. <laughs> right. And it, what's crazy is, like, again, I'm, like, totally blown away at the fact that, like, I know this sounds dumb, but you know when <laughs> scenes get hot in a movie, they don't show you the ending. They show you, like, the climax where you're getting close to it, and they'll cut to the next scene. And just when you think it's going to end, you're like, oh, wow, he's, drinking, he's been jerking them off for a while probably gonna cut now um yeah. no he busts a load <laughs> that was the most straightforward one because it literally while other sex scenes in this movie will kind of change positions change angles we just had just the straightforward yeah. jerking off angle the whole time that's exactly what i was just going to say yeah the camera was focused on his hand and his dick the whole entire time there, there was no it wasn't until he came that it panned out and you can see their faces. What was interesting to me was that that was the first moment where I realized that the focus was 
on the sex for that moment. Yeah. And all you can hear was, was the sounds of the breathing and the outside sounds of the world. And that's like where it first caught my attention. Yeah. Oh, well, of course it ends till the protagonist has finished. And I think I got the feeling the protagonist wanted to do more stuff with Francois, wanted him to whip out his dick as well. But Francois was kind of more, his head was more in the real world. He said, no, I have, have to get to work, you know, I'll see you later, goodbye. Kind of ruining the fantasy a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Happens all the time. Happens all the cock blocking. <laughs> no, he had to go to work. Didn't he say he had to go to work? He did, but you know. And this, these were all the lines in the whole movie, you guys. So like that, whoever the script writer was, he got paid good. Then I need his job. <laughs> but so it's clear the protagonist wasn't satisfied with this interaction with Francois. So we go now from, you know, the soccer fields in some suburb to inner city factories, dockyards. And we see all the men. We see all the men there. Yeah, I can't remember which was the next sex scene after that. Well, it's, you know, we follow the protagonist and some other side characters to these docks. And there's all these guys there hanging out. Um, We follow them, the protagonist, to a little bar. Yeah. Some guys are playing pinball. Some guys are drinking, you know, on their break. And we start to focus on these two new characters, all unnamed, of course. Um, one is playing pinball. The other is definitely a construction worker. He has a hard hat on the whole time. <laughs> I know. And it was like, to- it was like. It was like bright yellow, too. I know. I'm like, give me a break. Who's the who's in charge of wardrobe? <laughs> it was a little dramatic, a little obvious. But did you catch what they were focusing on first before they showed him standing behind the other guy playing pinball? Oh, no. What? They focused on his wedding ring on his hand did you catch that no yeah (laughs) it's funny they focused first on like the the zoomed in shots and that started back in the locker room went to the masturbation scene and now into Uh this bar they focus on his wedding ring then they pan out and you see that he's standing behind this guy and they're he's like touching his hand and kind of playing pinball with him and he goes to he gives him this eye and he goes to the back of the bar to the restroom where like sexual encounters proceed to happen. And what was interesting here was you said how funny that you can hear all the dishes of the bar clinging around. You can hear the cars driving by. And I wrote something down during that scene. So I might not have caught all of it, but this was (laughs) what came to my mind. I said, it's like, you're living in a world that is fully alert all the time. And my question to myself was, how many gay men at that time, and even today, grow up with that sense of having to be overwhelmingly aware and fully alert all of the time, not just as a survival mechanism, not just to protect themselves as gay men, but to be sensitive enough to pick up on those cues of who else might be an ally, who else might be in my same shoes kind of thing. And it was just the subtle touch of a hand. It it could be the right signal to the right person. And in this case, it was. Right. I mean, you were very interested, I thought, in the music and the sound mixing and all the technical aspects of that for sure. And that's 
probably the first time I noticed like just how because we don't hear anything at all. I think from the sexual encounter, no grunts, no nothing. Yeah, some breathing maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and I I still haven't pinpointed what song it was, but in the essay it says it was a piece by Schubert, and it kind of backtracks the entire film, not just in some of the sex scenes, but in some of like the other scenes. It's like. Let me see if I can think. Um, oh, that's it. <laughs> it's kind of haunting. It is. It has a sweet note to it. But a sweet note to it at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's It was just interesting that they chose that piece. And again, when they go into the bathroom, he's getting his dick sucked. Mm-hmm. The two guys at the pinball machine. Did you notice again that they focused on his wedding ring? first no they focused on his wedding ring first he's fucking him like in the ass or something and well okay no first he's getting a blowjob but as soon as he turns around and he starts fucking that guy in the ass you see his hand on his hip while he's like fucking him doggy style and there's the wedding ring again and all meanwhile do you remember they were panning back to this other older man at the bar yes and what was going on with that man and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but there was an older man at yeah. the beginning, too, Sorry, at the I'm soccer fields. <laughs> so there's, there seems to be a lot of older gentlemen in the wings, kind of spectators, at the very least, spectators. to all these sex scenes. And and there was a, a sort of a look of sadness in this guy's eyes. Mm. And that combined with the knowledge that this man, is pro- this other guy who's getting fucked in the bathroom or fucking in the bathroom, is probably married and has a family at home and all this stuff sort of like ties back to that solace and longingness to have this life that really didn't exist then in the in the way that it exists today like being able to have like one lover for example um like it says at the end of the movie and this guy like you can tell he wants to get up and go to the bathroom and like be a part of this sexual encounter but he's sort of just like given up yeah, and coming from, you know, if this was filmed in the late 70s, early 80s, I mean, this is someone who has been, you know, like around since like, what, 1900? I don't know, I'm not good at math, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 1910, it's, it's very interesting. And of course, our protagonist is there too, and he watches and sees everything. But unlike the older man who stays at his table drinking, the protagonist once again joins um the sex and kind of takes it up almost as well because we have the construction worker yellow hat finished with his business leaving the bathroom and the protagonist steps in to take his place and continue the sexual um <laughs> encounters That's this the guy <laughs> the the bottom at the pinball machine Ooh, that sounds like a good punk band name the bottom <laughs> at the pinball machine um he gets like used up by yes. like how many men? Like three guys or something? Three guys. The last one is the most mysterious. So yes, it's the bartender who, you know, the protagonist doesn't even get to finish. The bartender comes in and removes the protagonist from the tiny little bathroom, you know. Tiny European little bathroom. The smallest bathroom you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the airport bathroom or the airplane bathroom. Well, before you say that. Yes. Let's describe the state of which this bottom is in. Because he's like, I don't know, what's his deal? He's like asleep. Yeah, so in the beginning, he seems much more interested. Yeah. Um, 
doing everything. But by the time the con- first man leaves, the construction worker, he seems kind of, he does seem asleep or just in a daze, kind of slumped against the back wall, still sitting on the toilet. Um, and then the protagonist comes in and starts having sex with him. And I can't remember for sure, but I don't think the, this guy was as interested the second time around. He definitely still seemed kind of asleep and lackadaisical, but before the protagonist can even finish, the bartender comes in. And in maybe the strangest scene, the bartender does not have, does not really have sex with the guy. He doesn't really do anything with them. He's the 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 bottom sitting there on the toilet, like dead, like bewildered. <laughs> and I, I, at first I was like, ooh, because it looks like it's going to be a water sports scene. He starts pissing all over this guy, but it wasn't sexual. He was like, you're in the way and I need to piss and I'm going to piss in the toilet. And I guess you're there. That, that's what I got from it. He that's didn't even exactly give him attention. It, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that made me think like, is this like a reminder that like you're nothing like, you know, I know people don't like this word, but like, you know, oh, you're just a fag. You're just another one of those faggots. And I'm like, you're in the way I need to piss. And you're, you're, you're that low kind of thing. Yeah. A reminder of the outside world, like that exists outside of your own dreams. Well, like you were saying, the construction worker has this other more mundane life of being married with his job and family and everything else. And, we don't know anything about this other guy. You know, he yeah. might have nothing else in comparison. Um, and these brief experiences are all he has. Well, we're going to take a quick pause right there and continue our conversation next time about Equation to an Unknown. Remember, if you liked this episode, don't forget to find me on Patreon and Instagram as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.